Our reading is Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 21. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the chief official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice, their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year, King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. 
Good morning, folks, and uh, Happy New Year to you, and I hope you're doing well and have had a good few days. Um, we are in Tier 4, as we've said, things are slightly different, uh, so children are all in together with us, so um, if there's a bit of noise, that's okay. Um, if you need to open a packet of biscuits, that's all right. Uh, if your children do as well, that's fine. Um, so. Uh, we're going to take a look at this new book of Daniel that we're moving into in the next few weeks um, and uh, thinking about the king and the kingdoms and how it shows us uh, the God that we have who reveals, rescues and rules. Um, one of the big hits of the past year on television uh, was a series, you may or may not have come across it, um, called The Mandalorian. Um, it has a character called The Mandalorian, um, this figure here. Don't worry if you haven't seen it. Um, I'll just describe that the, the Mandalorian is this uh, unusual figure, um, and in the series, he, he follows a particular creed, a set of beliefs that he has. Um, and it's what really makes him quite unusual. Um, he has a mantra uh, in that he, you, you hear often in the show. It's called, This is the Way. Uh, it's the way that he follows. And it makes him quite unusual in the kind of culture and the age that we live in that here is a character who has a higher set of beliefs that he obeys, follows, lives by. And there are characters that he meets who laugh at him, who uh, mock him from time to time. But undeterred, he carries on living out this greater belief that he has. And that, that idea of a, a higher creed, a higher set of beliefs, one that we look to, is, is not a bad idea to take us into the book of Daniel. And um, Why are we um, thinking about it? Why this term? Well, let me just make a contrast with last term. Um, we spent some time looking at the book of Philippians, um, and part of that was it was just really helpful for us to think about how we relate to one another as a community of believers. How do we do that, particularly in the context of a pandemic? And as we start a new year, I think it's good for us to lift our eyes to the God that we have. Daniel uh, presents us with the God of history, the God of the nations, the God who's in control of kings and kingdoms, uh, and that what ultimately governs the world isn't human power, but is God's hand. And it's from there that we understand who we are and that we find our place and that we have a higher creed, a set of beliefs, a higher set of beliefs, even in the turmoil of a pandemic. So that's partly why we're looking at it. Um, in the Bible story as well, it's just worth knowing that the book type is called apocalyptic. Um, it's a kind of uh, of literature which has lots of pictures and visions of the future, and it is about getting people ready and understanding what is coming and what they may need to live through. Um, and in the Bible story, and, and Sarah picked this up as we talked about where we have been in the Bible story, it's also like moving. When we get to the book of Daniel, it's like moving from watching local news to watching world news. Um, if you can imagine, for a long time through the Bible, we focus on God's people, Israel, and we focus in quite close, and we learn about their kings and their geography and the strife and the fighting that goes on, and it's quite like watching the local news of what's happening in just one place. And Daniel then opens up, and suddenly we're talking about um, a global vision and kingdoms of the world, um, and they are very big in Daniel, and God's people are very small. 
Um, and this isn't sort of when you have Solomon and um, he's a kind of world figure entertaining the Queen of Sheba and everything looks amazing. It's actually much more like big geopolitical tectonic plates that are moving and God's people are just a tiny dot on one of them. Now, to take us into the story, um, I'm going to try and move through the, the first chapter here and the story because it's worth taking it all in. It kind of comes in three parts um, and we'll pick up the story and then we'll draw some thoughts together. Um, but it starts with those verses which we had read earlier. Um, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, so that's the king of God's people uh, in Judah, in his third year, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, comes to Jerusalem and besieges it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now, this is about 605 BC, just to locate it. Babylon is the new major power, the major superpower um, on the block. And Nebuchadnezzar is a big figure. Um, and so he has traveled across to where God's people were, um, in Israel and Judah, and he has dismantled them and taken them apart and destroyed them. And as it says here, he's carried them off. And verse 2 says, God allows it to happen. That phrase, uh, the Lord delivered, is God gave. And it was mentioned, it comes up three times in this passage. It's really important for understanding what's going on. God gave, God gave the king of Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So if you are one of the first kind of readers of this book and you're one of the people who knows about God's people, you've got to get to this point and think, well, if God is giving up his own people's king, what on earth happens to God's people from here on? What does that look like? Now, part of this process, some uh, young men are taken from, uh, from God's people um, so we're told they're to bring into the king's service, King Nebuchadnezzar, some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Um, now, to give us a kind of context for this, um, here is a map which shows you what was going on. So um, on the left-hand side at the bottom there, you've got Jerusalem. And this is the journey that they would have taken. Now, that you can see there's a shorter journey across, but that's the journey they would have taken north and then across down the river Euphrates, down to where Babylon is on the right-hand side. It's about 880 miles, uh, and that is the journey that they would have taken. And Daniel and his friends, Daniel would have been a teenager at this point, maybe about 15 or so. Now, I know we've got kind of two or three teenagers in the room here at the moment, uh, maybe some watching at home. Uh, if you're a teenager, this would have been you. You would have gone on a 900-mile journey across uh, country, um, and this is the first of three major waves of taking people. But what they did first of all was they took the elite and the best. So those, um, it says, uh, as it goes on in verse 4, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. And they were taken, and they were to be given the language and literature of the Babylonians to learn. They were to be given this daily portion of food and wine, and they were going to be trained for three years. So it's like a kind of Babylonian finishing school for the best that they could find um, from God's people. And there's clearly some aim here to change and erase 
the history and the culture that they have. So we, the name changing is quite important. So um, they change their names. Here's a list of the four um, characters that we meet. Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And there are the meanings of their names on the left-hand side. And you can see that all of their names are linked to God. So Daniel, God is my judge. The Lord is gracious. Michelle, who is what God is? Azariah, the Lord has helped. And they are given names which take out references to God. Uh, we don't know exactly all of them, but uh, Belteshazzar, da Daniel's new name, protect his life, Shadrach, uh, uh, Meshach, Abednego, they're all given different names that take away the references to God in them. So you can see what's going on here. And what is happening is there's a really big shift that is happening. And it's a thought that I'll kind of come back to later, that God is allowing them, his people, he's allowing them to move from being in the majority culture as believers to being minority believers in a different culture. He, they're going, God is allowing them to move from being the, in the majority culture as believers, as God's people, to now being minority believers in a different culture. And that is a big, big shift that is going on for God's people. And I'll come back to why that is. They are, to use my image from earlier, they are about to all become Mandalorians, where they have a creed that they follow that no one else does. And it is quite a challenge, and we'll see. And part of the opening up of this book is thinking through what that looks like and what God is doing as he allows this to happen and what he is revealing about what is to come. Now, the middle part of the story then, um, the tone of the rest of the chapter is kind of, uh, it, it's interesting, it's about how they navigate what God has just allowed to happen, um, and I want to underline in the middle here just how limited in scope in lots of ways uh, it is that they can do. So the story goes on, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, we're not told exactly why, but the language of defiling or kind of being unclean obviously suggests it's some kind of faith motivation. But he didn't object to his name change, and he didn't object to the learning of the language and literature of the Babylonians, but only this. And notice that when then he goes to this, I don't know if you know this about the story, he, he isn't successful at first. So the first person he goes to is the chief official in verse 9. And he says, you know, can I, um, uh, can I, do, can I not use this, uh, eat this uh, food and wine? And what it says is, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. And this is the second of those God gave phrases that we get. And we might think this is great. God's going to help him out. He's going to say, yes, of course you can. But actually, the official says, no, I can't let you do this. So the first question, uh, for his first request, he gets turned down. And then Daniel goes um, to a second figure. So although God has granted him favor, it doesn't mean the decision immediately goes his way. So he goes to a second person, the guard, in verse 11, and he asks the guard this time, well, okay, could we then have a 10-day test where we'll only have wa uh, water and vegetables and we won't have the, uh, the royal food and wine? Now, I don't know if Daniel invented veganuary, but, you know, we can, we can imagine. It may have been at the start of the year. You know, he was kind of 
setting out in January? Um, you can ask him sometime. Anyway, um, but the test, as the story kind of, this part of the story finishes, the test goes well. And after 10 days, they appear to be healthy. Now, we might hear that, and particularly if you're from a Western culture, you might hear that, so they, it meant that they sort of looked thin and good-looking. But in fact, it's the opposite of that. Um, so there, uh, the, the, what it says in verse 15, now this is a slightly older translation of verse 15, it says their countenances, their appearances, were fairer and fatter in flesh. So as in, it meant like they'd been eating well. They were looking like they were healthy. But that's the story in the middle here. And it's a story of success, but it's, do you, do you sense, it's, it's quite limited. And God's hand is still pretty tricky to work out. Initially, God gives the king of God's people into the Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Now he gives favor to Daniel, but it, it's not quite the favor you might be expecting. But then the story ties up with its third part, and it says, uh, it says this. The third, it's actually the third phrase, the third God gave phrase um, in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And this maybe feels a little bit more like what we were expecting from God. He's finally given something that seems worthwhile. He's given them learning and skill, and they've got success uh, in what they're doing. And they come before the king, and it turns out they are ten times better than the rest of them, which I seem to think matches the ten-day test that they had. Uh, having having um, uh, only eaten vegetables for those ten days, they're now ten times better. So it seems to end well. But then we're given just the last note of the chapter. We're given a time marker. Um, you notice that it said, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, King Cyrus is the next superpower in line uh, of the Persian Empire. So we had Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians, and it's about 65 or so years later. So Daniel, when we're, when we're told about this, we're talking about Daniel as an 80-year-old. So the chapter as a whole starts with Daniel at about 15, and it ends with him at about 80 or so. And all of his life that he has spent there in the court at Babylon, navigating what God has placed into his hands and where he's placed him. And that's the, the story that we get in this opening, opening this, uh, this picture of the world that Daniel has been placed into, but perhaps more than that, the God whose hand is over what is happening. And if we might take a kind of, uh, I'm going to try and draw some things out of this, the, uh, perhaps a headline to take us into this next few weeks and this term, that God is in control of the events of this world. God is in control of the events of this world. This is just the, really the beginning. We will see this much more as we go through. God is already showing that it is his hand that matters more than anyone else's. He places Daniel and the other young men in those times, in that situation. God will keep them in those times, in that situation, for 65 years or more. God is going to reveal through Daniel... Uh, what times lie ahead. A lot of the book will be about that, and we're going to see he, he will reveal through Daniel a plan to deliver his people ultimately. He will reveal through Daniel um, a figure of Jesus, the Son of Man, 
uh, who's described one who will deliver his people. He will describe resurrection and entering a new life in God's kingdom. And all of this is at God's hands. And so there are three short things it's perhaps worth noting, reflecting on, as we go into the start of this week and this new year. First, that God knows where he has placed us. God knows where he has placed us. God allows them to be transported into this hostile world that they are now in. He knows, he knows the times. Um, I don't know if you listened to the Queen on Christmas Day. I don't know if you're the kind of person who does listen to the Queen on Christmas Day or not. Um, I did. Um, and I reflected again as I listened um, to her. Um, you might know we have a monarch um, who testifies publicly to her faith in Jesus Christ and has done for many years and did so again on um, Christmas Day. And I reflected as I listened to her that in many ways we have had a legacy of many years of, perhaps in inverted commas, a Christian culture um, in the UK in particular. And watching the Queen as she is nearing the end of her reign reflecting that that time is coming to an end and that it is perhaps good for us to realise that that era is coming to an end and the next decade or two are going to see changes and actually with her, the end of her reign will mark some of that, I suspect. We are going to have to learn to trust God that he is in control of kingdoms of this world and maybe trust God in ways we haven't had to before because things are not going to be as easy for us, in inverted commas. Culture is changing. God knows the times we are in. Second, God can deliver. Daniel, it's really interesting when you read that, Daniel isn't in Christendom anymore, if I can use that phrase. Daniel isn't in Christendom anymore. He's having to navigate an entirely different culture. And interestingly, even in this chapter, Daniel... You notice that he's not saying he thinks the whole of the culture should be doing what he is doing. He is just asking for permission to exercise his belief in a particular area. And it is worth reflecting on. And actually, in the process of that, God's hand, which is at work, isn't necessarily easy to read. Not always easy to see exactly what's going on, but Daniel's faithfulness is honored by God, and it's not going to be the last time that he delivers these young men. We'll see other instances as we go in of ways in which he delivers uh, his people. So God knows the times, He knows where He's placed us, God can deliver, and God knows how long it will be. God knows how long it will be. But it's just interesting that the end of the chapter ends with Daniel as an 80-year-old, having started with him as a teenager, still there, still navigating the court life, still working out what it is to be a believer in a different culture. And if God has us here for the long haul, he knows that and he can uphold us. This is uh, 2021. I don't know how you feel about this year. It seems full of uncertainty as we go into it, doesn't it? It feels uh, full of uncertainty about even things like when are schools going to restart or for how long and are exams going to happen in the summer? 
Uh, are our workplaces going to uh, come back in the way that we imagine they might do? Are we going to stay safe long enough for the vaccine to arrive? Uh, is it going to get harder and harder to be a Christian in the United Kingdom uh, in the coming few years? Whether that's at school or at work or in your family setting, is it just going to get more difficult and more challenging if life begins to feel more lonely or more painful? We can take from this book, as we go into this term, God's hand is what matters most. God knows where he has placed you and I, and he can deliver. And he knows how long it will be. And so much of the book will show us. He knows the times, he knows the seasons, he knows how things will change uh, in the future. And it is good to lift our eyes to Daniel's God and our God's. In a moment, we're going to hear um, a song, and a song that's new to us. Um, it's a great song, and it picks up some of these themes. I'm going to pray for us as we gather these thoughts together and perhaps encourage us to take them into this week and reflect on them further. So let's pray together, shall we? Gracious Father, we, we're aware of uh, just what an uncertain start to the year it is. Many years feel uncertain, but this one perhaps more so than many. And we pray that you would help us to lift our eyes to you, that you do know the times that we live in. You are able to deliver your people, but and you know how long uh, this will be. You know what the future holds. Uh, you know the timing of your kingdom, how it will grow when your son will return. And Lord, we pray that it, that would encourage us. You would, you would raise our eyes to you. It would assure and reassure us as we go into this week and this new year. In Jesus' name, amen.